Oh my God, you're like listening to G'day World with Cameron Riley on the podcast network. Whatever. Hey folks, this is Cameron. Welcome back to the show. As uh, some of you know, on a Tuesday night now at 8 o'clock Brisbane time, Australian Eastern time, I do a live show via Ustream. And uh, usually I have a guest on coming in over Skype or landline or sometimes with me in person, which is something I'm going to try and do more often. My guest last week was a gentleman by the name of Steve McDonald. Steve runs a training slash strategic consulting business down in Melbourne called Transcendence that teaches something called uh, spiral dynamics which I hadn't heard of until recently when uh, my friend Ross Hill from Melbourne was up in Brisbane, stayed with me for a few days, and he gave me sort of uh, an overview of it and uh, introduced me then to Steve, who's SteveMC1 on Twitter. And um, Steve did his best at trying to convey the basics of spiral dynamics to us on the show. So I'm going to play the interview um, part of the show shortly. Uh, If you've never listened to the live show before, it's a bit of fun. Uh, I usually sing a few live numbers on the guitar, and I'm actually going to put one of them in the recording tonight, uh, just to give you a glimpse as to how it goes down. Um, So the first hour of the live show is usually the interview, the guest, and then we go into what I call the after party, which um, usually involves me drinking scotch or rum and uh, playing a few more live songs and basically just chit-chatting with the audience. Um, Sometimes people come in via Skype from the audience to co-host the after party with me. Uh, Last week we had Paul Montgomery from Melbourne, the week before we had Michael Maloney from Brisbane, the week before Nick Hodge from Sydney came in. And uh, we just sort of chat about news of the day, the usual G'day World type issues, religion, politics, sex. There was a lot of sex on last week. Sort of turned into a sex show last week, a uh, a, uh, (laughs) sex guide show. Anyway... um, uh, enough of that. Uh, let me throw straight into it. Uh, start with the song. Bear with that for a couple of minutes, and you'll get into the interview with Steve McDonald talking about uh, spiral dynamics. Oh, before I go, <laughs> the TPN 500 is languishing. Now I know there's more than 500 of you that listen to this show on a weekly basis, uh, and yet not all of you have signed up for the TPN 500. For those of you who haven't heard of the TPN 500. I'm basically trying to get 500 people who care enough about the content they get from TPN each month to sign up to the cost of a cup of coffee almost a week, Uh, five bucks a week, 20 bucks a month to come out of your PayPal account or your credit card via PayPal that comes into TPN, which will basically uh, ensure that I can cover the basic costs of running TPN, you know, the, the hosting, the bandwidth costs, some IT support. And, uh, you know, we can continue to keep doing what we do and and keep growing it. Um, As it has been, it's been coming out of my pocket, and my pockets are empty. (laughs) So I have to go out there and work my butt off doing other things to make money to pay for TPN. And I I think it's about time that uh, you guys, the listeners, participated. Some of you have been generous enough to contribute one-off donations, or even, you know, some of you have been contributing uh, on a regular basis. A few bucks here, five, ten dollars. What I'm trying to do is to find the people who really want to be the patrons of TPN, the TPN 500. And you can find uh, notes on the TPN 500 by going to tpn.thepodcastnetwork.com. And you'll see a link there to the joining the TPN 500. You'll see the names of the current contributors, the current members of the TPN 500. I think we've got about nine people, which is um, just pathetic when I consider the number of people that listen to TPN and have been listening to TPN over the last four and a half years. So I uh, humbly take my hat off and ask you to uh, sign up if you care about the content that we produce across TPN, not just my content, everyone's content, so we can build a truly independent, listener-funded media company that I can uh, build up to you know, have millions of listeners over the next uh, five to ten years. And I'll find ways to pay back those of you that are members of the TPN 500, have no doubt about it. All right, now that i got that out of the way, let me throw to uh, Steve McDonald. But first, a song. Hey.
Yeah, but it's not that either, Rednecks. Um, so this, this song was inspired a little bit by um, the Catholic Church service that I went to on Sunday night. The last uh, Mass at St. Mary's Church by Father Peter Kennedy. Uh, check out the video on, on G'day World if uh, you're interested in that. Um, it was kind of uh, ballsy what he's doing. I gave him kudos. Anyway, um, the guest there was uh, well, a guest performer, got up on stage, did a song. He uh, performed, he was the sort of the singer-songwriter in an uh, early 80s uh, rock band. And they had a big hit that went something like this. There was drums at the beginning, bit of didge. I'm not going to play the, um, well, I will play the opening riff. The opening riff goes a bit like this. Changes, not in a hurry anyway. You feel the endlessness coming on the light of day. Talking about a chosen place, want to sell it in the marketplace. Well, wait a minute now. Time, the dreaming all began. The proud people came, they were looking for the promised land, running from the heart of darkness, searching for the heart of light. Found paradise. Shore one day, saw the white sails in the sun. Wasn't long before they felt the sting. White man, white law, white gun. Don't tell me that it's justified. Cause somewhere, someone lied. Opening number gone. Welcome to G'day World Live, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thank you for coming, one and all, um, all the people that we have on. Make sure you tweet it, folks. Get out there. Let folks know where to come for the show. Let them know that the uh, first song is out of the way so they can safely come back. <coughs> and uh, thank you, Monty, for um, throwing your panties. It's, um, I imagine your panties, Monty, they would be, uh, they would be something. Uh, in fact, I, I heard a rumor that Clive Barker is using your panties as the um, the main character in his next horror movie. Hellraiser Five, the uh, <laughs> the streak. Um, uh, welcome to the show again. Uh, wrong username or password. It says here when I tried to tweet this thing before. God damn people, what is going on? Um, 
My guest today on the show is uh, Steve McDonald from transcendence.com.au. Don't ask me to spell that because I can never remember if it's E-N-C-E or A-N-C-E. It's E, right, Steve? E-T-R-A-N-D-E-S-C-E-N-C-E. That's correct, mate, yes. Mate, that's, uh, you couldn't have called it Bob or something like that. It's too late. Um, by the way, folks, uh, go check out Transcendence.com. We're going to be talking about spiral dynamics, something that uh, young Ross Hill introduced me to when he was here uh, one drunken night. He was like, well, you've got to check out spiral dynamics. And um, he, uh, I, I know Ross isn't listening tonight because he's at the Hive in Melbourne, but uh, he um, did such a great job uh, building up the expectation for this spiral dynamics that um, I said, well, you need to introduce me to someone who can actually explain it. And he said, Steve's your man, so Steve's on the show. My drink tonight um, is uh, Lagavulin. Lagavulin. And I'd like to say for the record, this is my first ever Lagavulin. I'm very excited about this. I've been having a lot of people tell me, you've got to try Lagavulin, a uh, single malt from the Isla part of Scotland. And this Lagavulin tonight, I have to tell you, is sponsored by... Eubank. <laughs> Gerd Schenkel, general manager of Eubank, is on the in the chat room tonight. If you want to ask him any questions about Eubank, don't, because they haven't paid me enough to act as a chat room, um, really just to cover the bottle of scotch. But there you go. It's by eubank.com.au, a um, division. <laughs> yes. Fee, no, Fee, I've sold my liver, not my soul so much. I've sold my liver tonight. So um, before... We get into the thing with Steve. I'm going to pour a glass, Steve. This is a bit of a ritual. Um, I drink Thanks, scotch Dan. on the show. So, Steve, while I'm pouring this, um, I'm going to taste it neat too. Why don't you um, start giving us the uh, the the 10,000-foot view of spiral dynamics. What What is spiral dynamics? Sure, mate. Well, the name comes from a book that was published in 1996 by uh, two guys, uh, Don Beck and Chris Cowan. And the material the book is based on uh, is mostly the work of a, a psychologist called Dr. Claire W. Graves, who did some extensive research going back about 60-odd uh, years now into human nature. And uh, the, the short description of spiral dynamics is that it starts to uncover the, the codes of human nature in a rather matrix kind of way uh, and explains why people do what they do and why people uh, you know, have the viewpoints that they have. Okay, well, I'm glad that's the way you framed it because when I read through all your material, I didn't get any of that out of it. So um, let's let's talk about how that uh, how that works. What I got out of the material that you sent through was um, something that I found interesting, nonetheless, was this explanation of what I would call the mimetic evolution that the human race has been through over the last, say, hundred thousand years. Um, these different uh, phases of thinking about ourselves and how we live together in societies that the human race has gone through. I've read a lot of stuff about that. I'm fascinated by human history. How did we get here? Where do we go from here? Uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, how does that stuff that I read on the, the evolution of human memetics tie into, you know, what you just said? Um, it does, absolutely. And uh, one of the things that Grace found in his research was that um, all the people that he studied had worldviews or you know, particular ways of seeing the world that could fit into a set number of categories. And he was smart enough to realize that if he did all the analysis himself, he'd probably put his own bias on it. So he got a, an independent panel of uh, seven people together and gave them all the data he gathered and said, look, see if you can sort this somehow into categories. And uh, they did sort it into initially seven different categories, each one representing a particular way of viewing the world, and each one coming with its own motivations and interests and you know uh, needs, etc. And uh, while he was studying these folks over about nine years, an eighth one emerged as well, and he eventually worked out that okay, there's an evolutionary sequence happening here, and people are people's worldviews are changing from extremely simple. Um, in the extreme case, uh, like a hunter-gatherer kind of worldview, where the only thing I really need to focus my life on day-to-day -day is uh, finding enough food and shelter and staying safe, um, through to extremely complex worldviews, which uh, at the time he gathered the data were well ahead of the average 
uh, Joe Citizen and, and still are actually. So um, the interesting thing about that is that there's, there's an element of prediction in his model as well that says, okay, if we look at all these worldviews that you mapped out and then we know that there's a sequence from one through eight and beyond, uh, we can look at that and see that most people in you know a given society, say Australia at the moment, are kind of seeing the world this way. So we can start to predict, okay, if it changes in a developmental or evolutionary sense, the next way that they start to see the world will be the next one in the sequence. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of potential in the model for that reason. But how do you take that, which is talking about waves of human thinking, and apply it to an individual or to a corporation? I mean, from reading through your website, I gather that a lot of your work is in uh, helping individuals and helping corporations go through this uh, culture change exercise. How do you take phases of human evolution that take tens of thousands, thousands or hundreds of years to come into play and, and apply it at an individual level? Well, this is the fascinating thing, mate, is he started out um, studying individuals and small social groups and the patterns of development that he found and also the change dynamics, they seem to scale, uh, you know, as, as far as we know uh, through any scale. So they, they seem to be an underlying pattern that applies to each individual and it can also be applied to a social group or a city or a country and potentially the whole world if you want to take an average of you know, all the folks who make up those groups. So you can look at the, the uh, different worldviews from hunter-gatherer, you know, through tribal and power-based and uh, authoritarian and enterprising, which is kind of the typical modern corporate viewpoint, and then humanitarian, which is where your, your social networking stuff comes from and, and beyond that. Um, you can look at an individual and, and see how an individual progresses through those stages um, depending on what life conditions they live in. And you can also look at uh, the history of humanity and say, okay, we can see that humanity started out as hunter-gatherers and then they went through a tribal phase and they went through a power-based phase, think Genghis Khan and empires, and then they moved into a much more organized uh, phase where you know we had civilizations like the Egyptians emerging and then onto modern civilization you know, based around free democratic markets and that kind of stuff. And, and now we're seeing uh, that particular phase start to break down in things like the global financial crisis and we're seeing new ways of seeing the world emerging, new ways of organising. So are you suggesting that we can um, take those people and, and, and help them understand that they're actually stuck in a way of thinking that um, is holding them back or their corporation back and, and help them move forward to a, a new level of thinking about their role in... in their, their society, their role in the world, their role in the corporation? Is that what, you're, is that what it's all about? It's, the context is usually that something's not working. And so people realize something needs to change, but they don't know what. And uh, they call people like me in and say, can you help us? And, and uh, what I can do is I can look at the kind of problems that we're, they're facing and I can uh, um, devise, you know, from looking at the, the nature of the problems that they're facing uh, what the next natural step for them is in terms of development for them as a group and individuals. So, um, you know, to give you an example of that, um, a, a classic corporation that's running out of time and uh, has communication problems, particularly between, you know, siloed parts of the organisation, next natural step for them is to take more of an interest in human aspects and get networked, okay, which, which is coming from the next level up. So, so how do you go about using this framework of, of mimetic evolution and, you know, apply it at, at a corporate level? I mean, take, take me through the actual process. Does it need to start with, you know, because let me go back a step. Cultural change inside of organizations, from my experience, is extremely difficult. And it happens two ways. It happens top down or bottom up, typically, from what I've seen. Um, both are, are extremely difficult, and and in most cases, it, it's almost impossible. I think to change the culture of an organisation. You know, the, the, everyone talks about GE and how GE managed to do it. Microsoft, you know, probably did it once or twice, which was uh, a miracle in by itself. But most organisations, you take a Telstra. I mean, Telstra have had succeeding, successive. CEOs since Frank Blunt in the early to mid 90s they've had three now that have tried to change the culture of Telstra and 
you know, I, I don't know they've had a lot of success. They managed to fire 50,000 people in the process, but I, I don't know that the culture has changed dramatically from, you know, what we've seen recently. I mean, how do you actually use this stuff to change these people? Mate, this is where the explanation starts to get a bit mind-bending. <laughs> um, you have to consider that. You're not going to talk to me about spiritual levels of consciousness, are you, Steve? <laughs> Ross sent me to a YouTube video. He goes, yeah, watch this YouTube video. And like two seconds in, the guy starts talking about spiritual levels of consciousness, which to me Who is you there? Ross Hill, which to oh, me yeah. is, is buzzword bingo for, well, I really don't know what I'm talking about here, but if I throw in enough fluffy uh, shaman kind of terms, hopefully you won't ask any questions that I can't answer. <laughs> it is not a cult, okay? Um, Everything's now, a cult. Now that, now that we've got that out of the way. G'day World Life uh, is a cult, isn't it, yeah, folks? I realize. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, and Lagavulin <laughs> is uh, the god of the night, brought to brought to me by you, mate. Um, <laughs> so what I was going to say, Cam, yeah, sorry, was... Uh, go, go, go. You've got to consider that the person who is making the decision that something needs to change inside the organisation comes from one of these evolutionary worldviews, okay? Right. And there's a particular dynamic that exists in the first six, so one through to six, that if, if you are immersed living in one of those worldviews, there's an inherent uh, tendency to think that your way of living is the best way. And if somebody's not living like you, then they should be, okay? Right. So if you get a manager who is, is operating out of one of those first six worldviews who comes in and says, look at this, something needs to change, and they want it to change to be like them, um, often that particular change will not be what the organisation requires. Um, and people who are coming from a different worldview will be resistant to changing to that, to that particular way of seeing things, uh, and hence, as you said before, most efforts at organisational change uh, don't work for that reason. So one of the particular uh, aspects of using this model is it's only when people start to transition out of that level six into level seven, or, or at least in the level six space, that they're in a good space to actually remind listen. Me, remind me what level six is again. Uh, level six is uh, humanitarian, social-centric, network-centric. Uh, it's a multi-perspectival worldview that, uh, where people can put themselves in other people's shoes fairly easily and understand what it's like to be in their shoes, yeah? But it's, it's also, uh, you know, it has its limitations like all of them, uh, and it's fixated on a sort of a, a level playing field arrangement. It hates hierarchy, tries to destroy hierarchy, um, uh, it's very, very strong on pushing diversity, but at the same time, if you don't think like the person who's pushing, you know, all this stuff, then they'll isolate you. So it's a little bit contradictory, and that's it. I think how Ross and I got onto this discussion in the first place over beer and hamburger one night is um, I was on my usual rant about, uh, you know, we are the generation that has the internet, and we need to change the world, and we need to take control, and if we don't take control of what's happening, the uh, forces of evil are going, which, which to me are uh, the, the wealthy elite, are going to uh, subvert these wonderful tools that we've been given, the interwebs, and we'll use it to, and we'll, we'll just turn it into the same old trash that uh, mainstream media was in the late 20th century. And Ross was kind of saying, well, yeah, but, you know, there's kind of this thing that's happening and the world is moving in this direction and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, it's, um, you know, basically suggesting that it's all just going to happen as a matter of uh, a new wave of thinking that's going to happen kind of as a matter of course. And I was like, well, you know, I, I hope you're right, but I, I think that we can't just sit back and assume this stuff is going to happen. We need to be out there affecting change, taking responsibility, taking ownership of the change. And I guess that's what, um, one of the things I'm interested in understanding from you is inside of Spiral Dynamics is there the view that these movements from one level to another level are inevitable uh, cause and effect type scenarios where one has to necessarily follow the other in a certain time frame or do these changes in human thinking happen because a small group of Margaret Mead individuals gets out there and makes it happen? And the answer to that, Cam, is yes, um, because what we're talking about Jeez. is human nature. So, so any aspect of human nature you want to throw up should fit inside this model. The model should be able to explain it somehow, and 
I haven't come across a problem yet that I can't explain using this stuff. But um, generally, yes, there there seems to be a a uh, shift over time towards more complex thinking, and that is happening in response to the fact that the universe that we're living is in is becoming more complex. Okay, and this is one of the dynamics that came out of the research is that when our life conditions become more complex, we seem to have some inbuilt capacity to develop a way to uh, think in more complex ways so we can cope with that complexity. Um, now, as we go through the levels, they're actually, they're not discrete, you know, literally, they're actually nested inside each other. So if you can imagine an onion with layers and layers of skin, as we develop these new capacities to think in more complex ways, they get layered on top of each other, just in the same way that our, our physical brain over history started out with the reptile brain and then we got the mammalian stuff laid over the top and then the, and the other bit, uh, you know, developing on the outside. The good old prefrontal cortex. But, but you've got to remember that these primitive aspects are still there and it's an entirely dynamic system. And if our life conditions change in an instant, we can be back down operating from what would be a more appropriate level, uh, albeit much more simple. Right. I still don't understand how the world moves forwards, though. It's uh, directly related to the life conditions, mate. So um, I'll give you an example no, that's no, very... Let me, let, me, let me stop you and ask you something. Would you say our yep. life conditions today in the West... I mean, I mean you, go, you go around the 6.2 billion people on the planet, life conditions vary greatly, obviously. Um, yep. Uh, are we talking about the life conditions of the minority who live in the West, or are we talking about the life conditions of the majority who live in, you know, inland China and India and uh, Africa and South America? Look, um, we can literally talk about any group that you want to talk about, but if you want to look at, okay, where are these uh, highly sophisticated ways of uh, seeing the world emerging, you're going to find them in the places where life is most complex, Okay. Um, and so what that means is places where all the lower order stuff is under control and it doesn't take people's attention. So um, you're going to find them in countries where people don't have to think about surviving you know, on a moment-to-moment basis, where their, their um, safety and security in a social sense is assured, you know, where they're free to express themselves, where there are rules and procedures but not so bad as to you know, restrict them uh, from living their life. Um, where they are financially catered for in, in current society when you need finances to, to get your stuff, um, where they're well networked and they can access information from any part of the world to enrich their thinking. Um, you go, and, and even going beyond that, you know, we're getting into very small percentages of people on the planet. Once you go beyond that into what Graves called uh, second-tier ways of operating, um, but for small percentages of the people, they've started to step outside the whole survival paradigm and start to look back into it in the same way that Neo did in The Matrix, you know, got outside the system and looked back in and said, oh, shit, look at this, you know, I can actually start to see the codes of why all these different things are happening with different people around the world. And then even beyond that, there was one level beyond that uh, that Graves found in his uh, research work. Out of 1,065 people he studied, only six people showed up with this particular way of operating, but it was... It was like a neo-tribal worldview, so it was most like the tribal, which is the second level way of operating, except it was on a global scale. So it was like seeing the whole of humanity as a tribe uh, and extremely intuitive. I'll go you one better than that. One of the, yeah. one of the things that um, I've been thinking about for the last decade or so isn't so much about humanity. It's about the survival of intelligence, the survival of the progression from chaos to order, which seems to me that humans are just, uh, we're, we're, we're the uh, transitionary torch bearers of uh, intelligence on this planet. You know, we, we've we been doing all right for the last uh, 10, 20,000 years, uh, but, you know, we're rapidly producing a, a form of technology, a machine-based intelligence, which... A lot of people think in the next 20, 30 years, well, a lot of big thinkers in this area think will outstrip us. And the question shouldn't be, will humans survive? It's, uh, you know, will some higher form of intelligence survive, whether it's human or or non-human? That's my big concern, isn't whether or not humans actually survive the century. It's uh, whether higher order intelligence survives. Because if it doesn't, if we fuck this up and uh, we wipe out 
humans and, and the ability for humans to create this higher order of intelligence, we've just wasted four billion years of uh, absolute evolutionary crawl on this planet, not to mention perhaps 14 billion years of evolution. We, we, as far as we know, in terms of hard data, this is the only planet in the entire universe that has any highly evolved intelligence. You know, we can hope that we're wrong, but, you know, I don't want to bet everything on that. We could be the highest form of intelligence out of uh, 100 billion galaxies with 100 billion suns, each one with 10 planets. You know, that's, uh, we don't want to mess it yeah, up. We've got a lot riding on that, our shoulders here, sir. That, mate, is a scary thought. <laughs> Why is it scary? <laughs> that we could be the highest form of intelligence. Why, why is it scary? I mean, to me, it's it's um, it's humbling. It, it's it's humbling that it's up to us. We are the high point. Possibly, we we may not be. I mean, statistically, you would hope that uh, depending on what variables you plug into the Green Bank equation, there are going to be other planets out there that have uh, equally, if not higher, uh, evolved forms of intelligence. But M. Pesci in the comments line. Uh, you know, we don't know that for a fact, sir. And, you know, even if over 14 billion years other highly evolved forms of intelligence have come out of the universe, you know, the, the, the chances that they coexist with us, maybe they, they, they evolved 100,000 years ago and then wiped themselves out with a thermonuclear war, you know, a thousand years later. Uh, we don't know. I mean... You know, it looks like if, if humans are anything to... Uh, yes, Nick, we're playing Cameron Riley bingo tonight. I think I've successfully avoided all of the keywords, but I'm, you know, I can't be guaranteed after a few more scotches how we'll go. But um, <laughs> we, we, we have no way of... No, look, if we take the human race as an example, which is where I was going before Nick Hodge interrupted, um, uh, you know, it, we developed... Uh, radio technology, you know, 70 years ago, and, you know, we've, we've come very close to wiping out 95% of life on the planet at least two or three times in the last 50 years, and uh, this century is looking even more dire than the previous century. So maybe there is this small window of opportunity between when higher forms of intelligence evolve on a planet and when they wipe themselves out through arrogance and aggression. We, we really don't know, but if humans are anything to go by, it's... Uh, it's uh, not inspiring. So anyway, Steve, did the um, did uh, Mr. Graves' uh, framework talk about uh, machine-based intelligence and uh, or, or extraterrestrial intelligence at all? What level are they on? Yeah, no. Look, he, he didn't really, but he he was gathering his data back in the fifties, and uh, those sorts of things weren't as popular conversation topics as they are these days. But um, you know, all the stuff that you've just said is uh, is very interesting indeed. One of the trends that we can see if we look through this progression um, up the spiral, as they call it, is um, a movement beyond rational thinking. Okay, So down the bottom, you've got uh, pre-rational urges which dominate behavior in, in the tribal and power-based and uh, the survival uh, levels of, of existence. But we go through this rational stage in the middle, you know, and, and probably most of the people in Western countries these days are, are uh, in that rational stage somewhere. Um, and then beyond that, we go to what they call trans-rational ways of operating. So once again, these things are nested inside each other. You've got your pre-rational stuff and then the rational way of operating laid over the top and then trans-rational beyond that. And the trans-rational levels start to look beyond rational thinking to try and work shit out. Okay, so um, what other ways are there of gaining knowledge, for example? And there's also a reorientation uh to the internal aspect of our being. So um, that can involve exploring altered states of consciousness through you know, various ways of achieving those, um, going beyond a superstitious kind of uh, operation to a, a highly intuitive uh, way of operating. In fact, the highest level that Graves documented was uh, extremely intuitive. So the kind of questions that you're asking are all very rational questions. Um, but what, what I can say is that we know at the higher level we start to inquire in other ways uh, and you know some of those rational questions that you have may be answered by, for example, Mark Pesci going into an altered state and uh, talking to an alien and getting the answers. Okay. <laughs> an altered state, really. 
Yeah. Very good. Uh, yeah, I love I love it when the conversation gets to altered states and spiritual levels of consciousness, and we're really cooking. Um, uh, let me let me ask you about the green state because a lot of the stuff that I was reading in the material you sent through suggested that a lot of people on the planet are in or moving into the green state at the moment, but that state in and of itself, we need to move beyond. What what's the green state? What does it represent? Um, it's commonly called a postmodern worldview. So it's the next step after the mainstream corporate style, I want to be successful and achieve all my personal goals way of living uh, and let's collect all the material stuff that we can and stick it in the garage. Um, so um, at each of the levels, when we live at one of the levels, it solves the problems that have come before it, but then it just living that particular way creates new problems. We're starting to see uh, some of the problems that come out of the level before green um, hit world headlines now with the global financial crisis and we're running out of resources, you know, including peak oil and that sort of stuff, um, concerned about our impact on the climate, blah, blah, blah. So when these problems show up, the, the tension that looking at these problems and not having the answers creates actually drives people in time to develop a new way of looking at those things. And, and so green is, is the new uh, level beyond that classic modern worldview. Um, it's very relativistic, so it, it likes to gather all the perspectives that it can, uh, and it has the capacity to put itself in other people's shoes. Um, it is uh, extremely anti-hierarchy, so it, it tries to break down hierarchies and put everybody on the same uh, level. It's very network-centric, so you know the, the network that is the internet has uh, can can credit some of its existence to that particular mindset that thought, oh, what if we connect everybody in the world together and they could all talk to each other? Um, it's very concerned about uh, the environment and sustainability. Uh, and, you know, the listeners will probably start to realise that a lot of these themes are themes that are coming up as important issues uh, in society now. Social justice is another big one. Okay, Everybody has to have equal access to justice and those sorts of things. Okay, so let me, let me stop you there again and ask. Are you saying that this level of thinking, this 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 mode of thinking is a natural progression that had to happen after the modern mode of thinking, that these are natural progressions and not that, um, you know, a, a handful of courageous, bold people invested their entire lives over generations trying to get people to think about this kind of stuff and and use their fingernails and their claws to scratch us to this position. Are you saying that it, it just happens as a natural cause of events? I know I asked this question before, but I'm asking it again. I am saying that, yes. And, and Graves was very specific <laughs> in saying... Are you saying yes to both? Or yes to, <laughs> yes to the, the, the latter model or to the former model? It's, or the supermodel? I'm saying that... I always say uh, yes to the supermodel. That's... Basically, the, the my latter. philosophy of life. Yeah, sorry, what? The latter one, mate. So, so you're saying the, these things happen by themselves. So I don't yes. need to spend the rest of my life trying to convince people that rational thinking is better than believing in Jesus. Um, I can just sit back in my beanbag, light up a joint, and play Xbox. It's just all going to happen anyway. I, I don't need to go out there and fight for it. It's, it's not inevitable. And one of the challenges we face, which you kind of alluded to before, is that as these higher levels of thinking develop technology, once the technology is publicly available, it can be used by you know anyone who can access it. So, um, as as we know, we've got uh, you know terrorists in the world who are accessing very sophisticated technology that on their own they wouldn't have the capacity to produce, but they can use it in any way they want. So, um, this is pr producing a really interesting dynamic on the planet, you know, and, and you've sort of alluded to it a number of times. Uh, there is a question, you know, will we survive this? I mean, are we going to figure out a way of having all this wonderful technology but making sure that it doesn't fall into the hands of the wrong folks or et cetera, you know? Hmm. You know, I tell you what disturbs me about that is, um, you know, I feel that in the West, uh, we most people um, are sheep and they've been conditioned to be sheep by... 40, 50 years of uh, mainstream media teaching them to be sheep. It's not their fault, but 
you know, everything that they hear and are told from literally the day that they're born until the day they die through newspapers and television and radio and magazines and films and the church and the government and the education system is all training them to be sheep. Don't think, um, you know, just trust authority, uh, trust us, we're the good guys. Meanwhile, out the back, you know, George Bush is saying, we do not torture, and at the same time, they're banging people's heads against walls and waterboarding one guy 136 times in a month. Um, uh, you know, and, and I feel a, a, a growing sense of responsibility over the last decade that we need to do something about this. That, and that knowing that there is this stuff going on and not getting up and doing something about it is almost a criminal act. And that, you know, I spend a lot of my time ranting and raving trying to convince people that we need to step up, we need to do something worthwhile with our lives because we are so fortunate, because we are lucky enough to have been born in the, in the late 20th century in Western countries with all of this amazing wealth and luxury and electricity and, you know, welfare systems and the interwebs. You know, we are, you know, not, if, if not just fortunate out of all the people who live on the planet today, but in terms of the entire human race that's ever lived over 2 million years, we are the most fortunate generation of people that has ever lived ever. And yet I feel that people don't really take that on board as a responsibility to do something with it. We're just, yeah, okay, we're lucky. Let's just sit down, pop another beer and watch uh, Australian Idol. And my concern is that if 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 people... If, if we're telling people, if Spiral Dynamics is telling people this stuff is just going to happen through cause and effect, that they don't need to step up and take responsibility. What say you to that, sir? I say that firstly, Spiral Dynamics is not telling people uh, that. Um, Spiral Dynamics is simply saying, we took a look at humans and this is what we saw. Some people are interested in this stuff, some people are interested in that stuff, and all of those things are a reflection of what their life conditions are like. Okay, so... Uh, all of what you just said is a reflection of the life conditions that you enjoy. Um, so, you know, what that means is that the more basic stuff is taken care of, so you've got time to start thinking about, my God, what the hell are we doing here? Um, lots, for lots of people on the planet still, they have other interests because they're operating at a different worldviews and they're still more interested in what's on the telly or where's my next meal going to come from. Uh, and they, they literally don't have the capacity to worry about the kind of stuff that you've just spoken about. And that, that's why they are the way they are. Right, but those of us that are in the West do have that capacity. Why, why aren't we, why aren't we uh, getting out there and trying to make the world a better place? Why are we all worrying about, you know, uh, whether or not we have the latest big flat-screen TV uh, or the latest uh, iPhone? Why aren't we... Why aren't we investing more of our time into trying to uh, fix our, uh, you know, the, the corrupt uh, behaviour of our own governments than worrying about who won Australian Idol this year? Um, I need to draw a distinction there, mate, and, and just say that um, based on the work of Graves, we really can't talk about humans as we if we want to look at motivations and interests, okay, because um, people exist in different conditions and they have different motivations and different interests. You can look at an individual or a specific group somewhere and say, okay, let's take these people as an example. Why aren't they interested in um, sustainability? And we can explain that with a model simply by looking at their life conditions and saying, okay, people only start to get interested in sustainability when they reach that green level, okay, which is level six. Therefore, if people haven't reached that level simply because they're living in life conditions that haven't called for it, then they're not going to give a shit about sustainability. That's, that's a fact. It's a simple fact. But does that include the CEO of uh, a large corporation as well as people living in Venezuela? Absolutely. It's, it applies to every human being. And I think, you know, George Bush was a classic example of that. It was here was a man who hadn't developed an apparently complex way of thinking, and yet he, was, he made his way into an extremely influential position. Uh, and, you know, I, I say if we... Uh, if we look after ourselves on the planet and we continue to, to live here, in the future, things like that will change. You won't see that happening anymore. People will look at the complexity of thinking of an individual and say, okay, this person's complexity of thinking ain't solid enough you know, to fill a role like that. But 
okay, my, my view on Bush is that he was a very complex thinker and was very smart and did a very good job at making money for his business place. Like Hyman Roth, I always make money for my partners. Um, he made a lot of money for uh, a lot of people. I mean, uh, it wasn't that smart and, and uh, you know, he managed to get the presidency. You know, that's that's a pretty complex process. To be, He had to buy it at the end. He had to buy judges to get the presidency the first time around. <laughs> I mean, how can you say that's not complex thinking? Uh, mate, if I, if I map those things that you're talking about onto uh, the spiral, um, I can tell you that they don't go beyond uh, level five out of eight. So, um, ma- so. making money, um, stealing elections, um, lying through your teeth uh, is not, in the, the spiral dynamics world, uh, representative of complex thinking, it's that's that's a lower order of thinking. Uh, lower than what? I mean, it's, well, lower it's, than a level six. It, it's what it's telling us is that uh, in Bush's life, he hasn't had the need to develop thinking more complex than about level five on the scale of, of eight that we've mapped. There are probably more than eight that exist now, but we've only mapped eight of them. Okay, so it is complex thinking. I mean, that that level of thinking took us to the moon and back. <laughs> Um, you know, Mark Pesci is saying this sounds like Scientology. You can't like that comparison. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> you cannot respond. <laughs> I think we just move on. <laughs> <laughs> he takes it back. Um, uh, okay, well, that's interesting. Well, you know, I, I like a lot of this kind of stuff because – I am very interested, have been interested for quite some time now, in how we move the human race uh, forwards quickly enough to prevent disaster. I've said to friends over the last few years, you know, what I'm trying to figure out is what what are the right uh, toggles for the human race to take them through a massive paradigm shift uh, quickly? What are the yeah. what are the toggles we need to reach in and flick to move? Six billion people, uh, or at least the 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 five hundred million that matter to get a tipping point, in the right direction. Um, yep. And a lot of this seems to talk to to that kind of um, outcome. Sure, um, it can help us do that, uh, but um, the issue is not necessarily about changing people because the the model told us that progression through these levels takes years, okay, so, uh, and it's not a conscious process, it's a, a subconscious dynamic that occurs in response to life conditions, okay, it's not something that we can think about and do consciously, it's something that just happens. Um, so the trick is not to change people to be thinking at these higher levels, because that's, that's literally impossible. The trick is to look at people and see where they're at, understand what their motivations are, and then line their motivations up with these high-level motivations that are going to serve the greater good, okay? So, for example, if somebody is focused on making money, um, how can we give them a way to make money that also produces, you know, uh, clean energy or something like that? So it's about seeing where people are at, understanding what they really want to do, letting them do that, but giving them a way to do it that's actually good for all. On a large scale, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So for the for the folks um, playing at home, who most of whom work in large corporations, yep. um, How would you suggest they get started using Spiral Dynamics in the workplace? What 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 are two or three simple things that they can do to change the culture of their organisations? I know that there are. Some people in the chat room who work in very large organisations that have uh, cultures that are uh, difficult, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give them? I guess the first step is to read the book. Um, it's, you know, I first came across this model in 2003 and it's, it's not simple. It's not something that you can just pick up by reading the book and then run out and do it uh, because, it's, you know, it involves, I mean, it's really about understanding human nature and the first step towards doing that is understanding yourself. So... Uh, for those people who are in the right space, read the book and then notice what in the book appeals to you, what doesn't appeal to you. Maybe have a think about you know, which one of the, the world views is the dominant one for you and your life. Um, and then you can start to notice when you bump into other people at work or in any aspect of life, um, 
the people that you're attracted to and the people that piss you off and start to inquire, okay, you know, why why does that person push my buttons? Which of these worldviews might they be coming from and how does that compare to mine? Um, and that, that dynamic is really the key to, to start unpicking, you know, these uh, underlying patterns. Um, but, you know, to give someone three simple tips to go out and start applying spiral dynamics in the workplace, forget it. <laughs> Don't bother. You failed the three simple steps uh, question there, Steve. That's uh, that's not a good sign. You'll never you'll never get a gig on Oprah, man. If you can't if you can't boil it down to three simple steps. Yes, there will be a song coming up in a minute. Seven double o double seven. Sorry, we had a bit of a technical issue there, Steve. Uh, massive feedback coming back from your line, but all seems to be good. Must have been a Skype error. Um, you know, the, my final question, Steve, was going to be that a lot of this stuff talking about modes of thinking sounds to me like um, uh, INTP kind of stuff. Well, you know, he's an orange or she's a, she's a left quadrant or uh, she's an INTP. Um, you know, uh, I remember doing a lot of that sort of stuff back in my Microsoft days. How does, how does that kind of stuff, how is it different from, um, what's that stuff called? Somebody remind me on the chat room window there because... Um, been a long time. Uh, Myers Briggs type indicator. How's it different from that, Steve? Yeah, so uh, Myers Briggs is yeah is a way of indicating types of people. So those types are kind of uh, inbuilt preferences that are reasonably uh, consistent through the levels that Spiral Dynamics talks about. Okay, so um, introvert extrovert is a, is a very simple one to look at. You still got me? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody can be an introvert or an extrovert at any one of the levels that Graves mapped out uh, in the spiral dynamics model. Okay? Um, and those things are useful, but they don't uh, point towards things like, uh, well, they basically, they don't point towards the complexity of somebody's thinking. So somebody can be a very simple thinking extrovert who's, you know, interested in just drinking scotch and not much more, or somebody can be a very complex thinking extrovert uh, at the other end of the spiral. What about me? I'm a scotch drinking introvert. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, I am seriously. You would. It's it's all it's all an illusion. All right. Well, uh, mate, I um, I'm not sure that I understand a great deal more about it. But um, you know, uh, uh, you can't give me three easy steps for fixing the culture at TPN, which is basically <laughs> just me. Um, uh, <laughs> apart from get the book. Just keep at it, mate. It'll happen naturally, okay? <laughs> get the book, folks. He says, i got to get the book. Yeah, um, read the book. Any questions, folks, in the chat room? We've got uh, Steve live. Uh, think about questions and um, ask him about knowledge management, Cam, says Monty. Knowledge management. <laughs> so how about that knowledge management there, Steve? Sure there, mate. Well, um, we Again, we can look at the different levels on the spiral and we can say, okay, how do people manage knowledge at all these different levels, you know, and, and to make it relevant to the workplace, you can have a very bureaucratic way of managing knowledge, uh, which would be level four on the spiral, uh, which is quite rigid, so there's one right way to manage knowledge, uh, and then you might go to level five and say, okay, there are many different options for managing knowledge, and we can manage it in different ways depending on how we need to access it, who needs to access it, and that kind of thing. Uh, and if you go up another level, uh, you've got the network-centric approach where um, it's about networking yourself to other people and then drawing on knowledge from other people in the network when you need it. Um, but that tends to, to uh, be rather swamping in terms of uh, oversupply. You can go up another level and say, okay, well, let's take the network and give it a very special purpose or, or a very clear purpose so that you know it operates in a particular way, etc. So... How's that? Sure. I don't even know what Monty really wanted to know when he said ask about knowledge management. <laughs> um, uh, Kate Carruthers wants to know if you know where she can buy a cod piece. A cod piece? Uh, no, but I'll take the question I noticed and get back to her. Okay. Um, Nicholas Perkins, is there a book under our seats like an Oprah? Have a look. Is there anything we can... There's no books, but we did leave some um, old snobbies and uh, a couple of old one-cent pieces from 1978 under your cushions there, Nicholas. Uh, thanks for asking. 
Jinjiri wants. Hang on a minute. There's an old twisty here as well. And an old twisty. Jinjiri wants to know if there's anything we can possibly do to evolve quicker. Um, yes, there is actually. Uh, it's well documented that uh, peak experiences repeated over time can accelerate your development. So that involves uh, altered states of awareness. Oh no, you're uh, not back with the altered states. Smoking drugs? Is that what you're saying? So if, if, if no, people smoke does, a blunt doesn't. on a daily basis, they will um, evolve quicker. You heard it first here, folks. And it doesn't have to be smoking drugs. It's not compulsory. You can get it from taking a run. You can get it from meditation. You can get it from all sorts of different things, okay? But it's about uh, putting yourself in circumstances where you can start to step outside yourself and look back and, and contemplate stuff. But smoking drugs is one of the ways? Uh, look, I, I'm just... Through the yeah, doors what are our, of perception. What, what are our sponsors going to say about this, mate? Drinking scotch, I think, is probably a good uh, plan as well. The sponsor bought scotch, man. That's that's the best drug to come, big to go <laughs> for my money. It's the only drug that I do. Single malt whiskey. But yeah, no, no. Look, you know, if you if you look around uh, in society these days, some of the most some of our most sophisticated thinkers seem to me to be in the IT world because the the IT world is a very complex place to be, um, and. So have a look and see what they're doing. You know, what are, what are they doing, Mark Pesci? <laughs> Asking Mark Pesci? <laughs> Mark Pesci doesn't live in the IT world. Mark Pesci gets paid $100,000 to stand on stage and, you know, give the same slide deck. I mean... He, he's, ty- he's, he's just typed it out there. You've got the answer. It's on screen now. Mark Pesci doesn't live in the real world. He lives in the Mark Pesci-verse. He's, on, he's a megastar on television, you know, doing all this kind of... You know, he's high so, you, let, let, me tell you about, let me tell you about uh, one of the most sophisticated thinkers I've ever met in my life, okay? Just a very short story. Um, this guy, what he does for a living is uh, he is a shaman and a sound healer. He travels all over the world uh, running ayahuasca ceremonies. What's his name? His name is Darpan, D-A-R-P-A-N. Uh, you I can find him Darpan.com. I got to tell you, a couple of years ago, I caught a lift from Malibu to San Francisco with a shaman, a guy who oh, yeah. a guy who travels around LA and gets paid exorbitant amounts of money to shaman people, and he threw me out the car uh, halfway up the journey because <laughs> I was doing an interview with him uh, for the podcast, and I was like. Um, so what, what do you do as a shaman? He goes, well, I heal people's energy bodies. And I was like, is that right, energy bodies? Um, what is an energy body exactly? He goes, well, it's a body that's made of energy. And I was like, right, but energy is like a measurement. You know, energy is the ability that uh, a system has to do work. I mean, wh- how do you get a body out of – it's like saying bodies are made out of kilometers. I mean, it's, 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 it's a unit of measurement. He's like, well, no, the bodies are made out of it. I go, have you ever seen an energy body? He goes, no. And I was like, well, how do you know it's there? And we ended up having a fight. He wanted to throw me out. It was like the fight I got into with a Catholic at church. Anyway, shamans. <laughs> I don't know. And, and he was like, I said, where did you learn this? Oh, well, I learned it from a guy who learned it from the, uh, you know, out of the old Aztecs. I go, like, if the Aztecs were so smart, why didn't they know the fucking Spanish were coming? Why didn't they kill the Spanish? If the Aztecs were so smart, why didn't they kill... The conquistadors, the minute they stepped onto the shore, instead of going, oh, you're gods, ooh, come in, ooh. Aztecs knew fucking nothing. They were a bunch of primitive nutthwackers. Anyway, that, that's you- right, mate. Yeah, just, just like the introvert-extrovert thing, you can be a shaman at any level on the spiral, so you can think in a very simple way or a very complex way. Oh, so anyway, you're at- okay. So you, you, you met a good shaman, dark or something. It's like there are grades, mate, grades of shaman. Okay. So tell me, you met this complex-thinking shaman and... Oh, yeah. Look, uh, you know, he's a guy who's uh, focused on the evolution of our species on the planet, and he's working full-time to uh, create the life conditions for people to operate at these higher levels, you know, as described in the Sprite Dynamics model. And he's making a good living out of it as well. He's traveling all over the world doing it. And there was, was there more to that story, or was that it? Oh, no. I just, just uh, quoted that as an example, mate, of, uh, of how people are, you know, using altered states uh, to, to further their evolution. Okay. Um, DA Sharp wants to know, how do you move our conception of money and property up the spiral? Um, again, it comes back to the life conditions. So, uh, it's you know, it's, 
it's not actually your conception that moves up the spiral. It's it's your perspective that shifts as you move up the spiral, right? Um, and what you'll find is uh, with the global financial crisis, you know, uh, coming as a result of our, our modern financial structures collapsing, what we're going to see is uh, the emergence of uh, more networked financial systems, uh, poss- possibly alternative currencies, uh, and uh, moving towards a kind of uh, sharing resources concept rather than let's make a big pile of money for me concept. Well, people really seek money just as a means of uh, power, though. Don't we have to get rid of It's not about getting rid of money. It's about getting rid of this concept of power and control, right? It's about moving beyond that, yeah. So um, as you go up the, the spiral through the, the levels, they alternate between a focus on me and a focus on community. You know, so it's, there's a, like a, a me-we dynamic that happens. So every every stage will swing one way and the, and the other. So, you know, stage one is a me-focus, stage two is a we-focus, which is tribal. Stage three is a me-focus, and it goes back to a we-focus, and we swing backwards and forwards. So the changes that we're seeing um, in Western society at the moment are um, an example of a focus away from me towards a focus on we, us. I want, what happened to the hippies? That's what I want to know. Was that your single, mate, just then? My was single? That your, was that, no, no. Was that your song that you just played just then? You said you were going to play a song before. No, no, no. Sorry. I was just drumming around. Um, no, no signal there. What, what, what happened to the hippies? What happened to them? Um, they were uh, an example of one of these high-level, you know, level six world views emerging. They're all insurance uh, salesmen and bankers know that now. What, yeah, what, what happened? Yeah, yeah. I know, um, and you know, you can't say that hippies were all at a particular level of, of uh, worldview simply because they were hippies. People were attracted to that lifestyle for all sorts of reasons. You know, some of them were attracted to that lifestyle for the tribal reasons, for example. Um, but the, the whole, you know, the whole concept of let's create an alternative society came out of an early emergence of this uh, level six green worldview, um, which we're just starting to see creep into the mainstream now. Um, but the life conditions at the time couldn't sustain it, you know, so it fell back again. What, and that's another. What, 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 on, yeah. what, what was it about, you know, San Francisco in the 70s that couldn't sustain it? Um, I don't know, mate. It wasn't there, but all, all I can say is that if it had been you know, an if appropriate. You, if you were there, way, you know, if you were in San Francisco in the 70s, you wouldn't be able to remember it anyway. That, that, that's probably true, too. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, the, the whole spiral thing is dynamic. Okay. That's why it's called spiral dynamics, funnily enough, but you don't just go up a step and stay there, go up a step and stay there, go up a step and stay there. As you develop up through the levels, you accrue more complex ways of operating, but you can, you know, flip up and down as your life conditions change. And that was an example of a whole bunch of people, you know, flipping up to a higher level, but then dropping down again for whatever reason, you know, uh, probably mostly resistance from mainstream society, I guess. Uh, it wasn't sustainable, wasn't supported. Hmm. Mark Pesci wants to know, what percentage of folks are in the green or turquoise mode? Um, good question, Mark. No one's ever done a definitive survey. Don't suck uh, up to Mark by telling him it's a good question. He knows it's a good question. He's Mark <laughs> Pesci. He invented language. Yeah, look, uh, short answer is, mate, I don't know. Um, hmm. I'd add to that. Uh, turquoise would be probably a fairly small percentage at the moment. You know, um, the going back some years, the estimate was maybe one percent, one to two percent of the world. So it's probably a little bit higher than that now, but uh, I couldn't say exactly how much. Um, the next level down from that is yellow, maybe eight to ten percent ish, and then green is the next one down. So you know, maybe we're talking twenty percent, thirty percent. But I'm just guessing. No one's ever done a survey. Uh, Mrs. H. Lee wants to know, I assume it's Mrs. H. Lee and not Mr. Schlee, could be Mr. Schlee, wants to know <laughs> what tier level of the spiral do I need to be before I can understand what the hell you're talking about? Yeah, usually about six, level six, <laughs> which is green, mate. Anything below that and you'll say, who the it's, fuck is this guy? What's he talking rude. about? <laughs> Play a song. Play a song, Cam. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Can you hear me okay, folks? People are saying they can't hear me. Jinjiri can't hear me. Can everyone else hear me? Um. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, uh, did we talk about the righteous brew level that Cameron's friend? You know, I can't say that word because that's bingo. That's a bingo word. Dizzy stuff. I can't mention the Christians. Oh, gee. Yep. 
Nope, I mentioned the bingo word. All right, well, uh, I can't see any more questions here. I'm sort of trying to scroll through, back through. But uh, thank you very much, Steve, for, for you know being as patient and uh, giving us this opportunity to uh, learn a little bit more about Spiral Dynamics. So people should go to the book. Where do they get the book? They, they go to Amazon. They go to your website. Where do they go? Yeah, look, I don't sell the book, but you can get it from Amazon. I think there is a link on my website that'll take you to uh, to someone selling the book here in, in Melbourne, where I am, uh, the Success Centre Bookshop. You can't; it's not uh, a mainstream Jesus, book. Jesus, are they so. still going? Yeah, yeah. In the in the like late eighties, early nineties, I reckon I dropped thousands of dollars in that shop. Not for all the good that it did me, but uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, they've been around forever. That bookstore. Yeah, yeah, but Amazon's the obvious one. Yeah. Amazon. Don't buy anything from Amazon, folks. If you're going to buy a book online, buy it from bookdepository.co.uk. Worldwide free shipping. Started by a couple of ex-Amazon UK guys. Worldwide free shipping. Definitely uh, go there. Thank you very much, Steve McDonald. Round of applause. Thank you, Cam. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Cheers. Thank you very much, mate. Um, Stick around. We're going to do the after party for a few hours now. It's where it gets fun. Mm -hmm.